0: Welcome to our latest episode of The Loop Podcast. I am delighted to be with Karina Owens, who is ex Gong Enterprise ABM Manager and currently the Chief Evangelist at Purple Cork. And today we are gonna talk about all things ABM strategy. So welcome Karina, I've been super excited to meet you. I've been following you on LinkedIn for a while. Um, So I'm excited that you can share your insights with us.
1: Fran, likewise, first off, I love the loop. You guys are on my regularly scheduled flow of podcasts. And uh, I've been following you too for a long time. So I'm excited we finally get to chat together.
0: Amazing. Well, nice we can hang out. Um, so I'm just gonna kick off um just with a little bit of a question just around your background, um, and just context around like your knowledge, like on the whole ABM <laughs> sort of topic which is quite broad and means many different things to different people so yeah i mean what does it mean to you
1: (laughs) oh yeah i know that's actually like the first thing i do if i walk into any organization i will ask the uh, you know executive team you know how do you guys define abm and of course as you can expect you'll get wildly different responses and typically people describe abm as like a channel or a tactic so they'll say it's you know direct mail or it's a virtual event so it's never that's never how I see it to me it's a go-to-market motion and it's one in which that incorporates more than just marketing more than just sales it's going to involve client success it's going to involve the executive team and uh, it should involve product the product team as well and that's one that I think is typically highly underserved when people are talking about account-based marketing
0: yeah most definitely I love um, how you refer to it as a go-to-market motion actually because um, that's the I guess that's the conclusion that we've come to as well. So we started deploying a Cognizant, like standalone ABM tactics. But I think as you probably have experienced, like just doing a standalone tactic won't work. Um, so I guess um, that leads me on to my next question in terms of when you're creating this ABM strategy and you're thinking about it. Um, do you have um, like a particular motion or particular playbook that you go to because um we um when we were trying to sort of build the foundations at cognizant it became very confusing between like are we doing this for like new business should we be doing this as for customers or deals that are like in opportunity like how what is kind of like the best way to think about it because i do i am finding like there's a lot of layers right
1: Oh, my goodness, of course. Yeah, I think that it's really important to look at it holistically across the entire buyer's journey. Um, Demand generation and MVM practitioners often get kind of stuck with just focusing on net new acquisition. And then that's kind of where the marketing engagement stops and is on to the next. I like to structure my programs to be all inclusive of um, uh, considering current clients for upsell and expansion, net new as well, and then just continuing on that journey. It helps, too, from the perspective of what is most important to the buyers uh, at a particular point in their journey. So those are where the different tactics come into play. And there's, you know, specific ways you should be thinking about how am I engaging a buyer if they're just getting to know your brand versus are they finally, you know, at proof of concept stage. So i like to look at it as a full funnel approach and you will get more and more customized, more and more personalized, the deeper you get into
0: the funnel. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, that definitely, that definitely makes sense. And speaking of, um, I guess, speaking of funnels, so we, (laughs) we talk a lot about this at Cognizant, where um, our whole um, create demand motion is around um, getting rid of like, you know, the buyer journey isn't linear, um, getting rid of like creating an artificial funnel, you know, just because someone's read three of your or seen three of your ads and read a blog doesn't necessarily mean they're ready to buy but if I'm being really honest when I started looking at the ABM program just before Christmas I was kind of like creating these artificial funnels again so I was kind of like okay I'm gonna run um like a one-to-many campaign and then if somebody does x y and z I'm gonna think that they're more engaged so then I'm gonna do I don't know serve them something else so i felt like I was going back to my like old school ways if that makes sense and I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing but I just wondered how you thought of it in terms of like when you're setting up this ABM program and you're thinking about sort of I guess moving someone on to the next stage or serving somebody like one-to-one versus like one-to-many content what does that look like because um, I'm actually like struggling with that at the moment in terms of like just how to make that a reality
1: yeah it's very traditional marketing demand generation approaches to think about it this way and it's hard to really get to pivot away from that completely at an organization because that's so rooted in marketers and how they view success and how they present you know uh success back to the team so what I would say is is that this should all be directional it shouldn't be just a, a one size fits all. It's going to look very different, you know, from organization to organization in ABM strategy. It's going to, the program itself should feel different when it comes to the each individual person within those accounts. So it's a very important thing to map out so that you can really align internally on what you all agree based on historical data that you think makes the most sense. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll come into an organization and I'll do you know, a historical look back and I'll look at our top accounts, our best fit customers. And I'll look at what was actually uh, completed in their buyer's journey. So when did we find that webinars were most successful in the sales cycle? When do we find out that this particular piece of thought leadership was most successful at you know, moving somebody to the next stage? Um, and you're making just a hypothesis from there. So I always like to structure those programs, one to many, one to few, one to one, around those assumptions. Um, but again, there are assumptions and guiding points. They, there always should be open dialogue between your uh, your different teams that I talked about when the go-to-market uh, Uh, you know, function. So sales, customer success, product um, marketing too. And a lot of ways that we continue to educate and evangelize ABM internally is actually hold ABM office hours. So you have a set dedicated time for those teams to come together. If they can't make it, they can't Mm -hmm. make it. It can always be recorded and shared later. You can share like snippets and highlights that are easy to digest, but it's a good way to just keep everybody engaged and everybody uh, up to speed on what are what do we mean when somebody's in a one-to-many program what do we what does this intent signal data point mean um because re-educating is really uh just it, it's critical to make sure that everybody's kind of having the same voice and working towards the same common goal
0: mm-hmm. yeah no it makes total sense i think um team alignment is i'd say like one of the trickiest things as well because um really when you get to thinking about view it um as a, like, ABM, as you said, as a full go-to-market motion, then you suddenly start to think about it differently. And then suddenly I'm thinking, okay, well, I do want product marketing involved. I do want sales involved. I do, And then I'm sort of, then I'm thinking, oh, gosh, how am I going to get all of these teams together? Do you have, um, I guess, from a very tactical standpoint, do you have, like, a bit of a framework? So, like, what cadence are these meetings on? Like, are they weekly? Um, Sort of who runs them, like... You know, all that, that would be good to, to understand. Sure. The ABM office hours I would hold monthly. And
1: those are basically, I would have sellers mostly drop in and drop out with specific questions. And I would also be prepared to share uh, specific data points on, you know, accounts I knew would be most relevant to them and share with them, you know, hey, we have actually have some new identified um Uh, visitors on this specific page, let's go through your LinkedIn Navigator sales list and see who might match that location area where that activity is happening. And let's strategize how we can thoughtfully reach out collectively together. Um, Additionally, it's really important to embed yourself in areas where they're already having work. So if you have sales teams that are split up by region or territory, they're often going to be meeting collectively as a team, raise your hand and ask to just be be a part of those sessions for five minutes. Come in, share with them some upcoming content, share with them some recent highlights. That's a really successful way to just, again, stays top of mind and embedded. Another thing I really like to do is, it's very simple and it's very tactical, but it's incredibly effective, is I created an enterprise newsletter. um, And what I would do is I would share three main things. What's new in marketing, what's working, and what's upcoming. And the what's working piece was the best, Portion of the newsletter, in my opinion, because it was a great opportunity to show and tell from a collective perspective. So I would always word that section and show examples of in that section of we ran this uh, t- very targeted one-to-one ad to this executive at this account. We then worked together on a follow-up strategy that had a combination of direct mail and a link- LinkedIn conversation and uh, a nurture uh, email sequence and it produced X results. And so that was a great opportunity to just get people engaged and interested. And um, that was something that they could always kind of go to as their single source of truth, because even at the largest organizations I've worked at, they'll have all sorts of enablement solutions in place. But to our earlier point, you cannot assume that, you know, that they're all using it, that they all understand it. Uh, One, I'm, I'm a former educator, so I understand that you cannot just communicate one way and expect for it to hit everyone the same way. So again, with that newsletter, while that was sent out with visuals and video imagery within it, I also made sure that I did a video rundown so they could watch and listen at two and three X speed of me highlighting different portions and what it means to them. And that would be disseminated in their Slack channels. So uh, long-winded response there, but there's lots of different ways you can show up, uh, and, and really, uh, have ABM be prominent in, in uh, from an internal marketing perspective in an organization.
0: Yeah, I really like that. Um, I really like that a lot. I mean, in terms of, like over, I have learned as well, like the over-communication is almost key Um, and just having like one place to go to to get that or even if it's like one person or one team where you know you're going to get that, um, those regular updates are like really beneficial. I know when we were moving into our like create demand approach, like every senior leadership meeting, Alice was always talking about the new approach that we were doing, like showcasing results just to get people used to hearing about it. Um, and I think that's where um, when you have a full ABM program it does then become consistent because what we've tried in the past are kind of like one-stop actions for ABM right which aren't always going to be as successful as a full like cohesive program Um, so we touched on this earlier but I I do want to dig a little bit deeper like do you do you believe there is a place for some kind of abm for like cold prospects versus those in deal because when i've been doing my research um and thinking about how we want to execute this at cognizant um a lot of um strategies or motions that i'm reading about are in op already um so i'm just kind of wondering where i mean obviously it's up to us to kind of educate and and sort of you know rally and say you know this is where abm has its place but i'm just wondering like do you see a place for it for like cold outreach or do you think really like the, it mainly sits with like opportunities i do think that abm
1: is very well suited for deal acceleration and pipeline velocity programs absolutely that you know it's kind of a no-brainer as you just said I do think there is a place for ABM in uh, cold outbound, but I don't think it's the you know maybe tried and true sales playbook method that I as a marketer would recommend. So what I have recommended no. to you know other marketers and sellers is to show up where you know people are living and breathing content. Where are those digital watering holes where people are having conversations and authentically engage with your with the audience in that way. So. Take Reddit for example, that's an incredible forum community where people are constantly asking questions about new technologies Mm -hmm. and and, and how to think about integrating uh, things into your tech stack. You can show up there and it can be anonymous. It could be something where people don't know that you're representing the brand you're representing, but give helpful content. And over time, maybe you do link to a specific ebook or to a specific blog or podcast that is brand specific. But if you're starting and engaging in conversations in a thought leadership forward way, that to me is an effective outbound strategy. So I would highly encourage anybody, any seller who's a part of um, ABM Motions marketers to start following uh, those communities, start following those individuals, but show up in those comments in an engaging and thoughtful way. And then you'll find that you're starting to build some trusted uh, brand brand, uh, um, affinity. And then eventually we can get to those tactics that are going to be a little bit more uh, of those tried and true sales sales playbook methods.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah no that makes total sense um and then just thinking about um enterprise companies specifically so we know that the buying community is huge and is seems to be growing year on year Mm -hmm. yeah i didn't think it'd get any bigger but it has um so what are your thoughts on that in terms of like multi-threading so if we're thinking say we are thinking about pipeline acceleration then how, do you have any set plays or like examples you can share of motions that you've ran that you know do you kind of engage different buyers in like deal basically one thing that i think is like compl- there's two things
1: actually these two things are like low-hanging fruit opportunities that every organization i've walked into doesn't really have fully baked out in their programs already one mm-hmm. of them is to leverage your partner channel there are especially in the tech space which i, I think most of your listeners are probably going to be there are several uh, partners that would wel- welcome marketing's assistance and help. Uh, for example, I've worked in an organization before where you know Microsoft was their primary channel partner, but they always struggled to get their attention. And so I actually approached our API program there very strategically where I went to my the Microsoft team, I joined those team meetings and I, I gave them our data. So I said, hey, here's where we're finding you know your ideal users are spending a lot of their time on our website. The blog obviously referenced Microsoft and how it can be embedded. And what you will find is that some of these bloated organizations don't have as small and nimble of marketing teams to be able to react quickly and give this type of information. They're they're strapped doing a thousand other different things. So they're really willing to partner with maybe a smaller organization who uh, does have that dedicated time to be a little bit more personalized. So when you're thinking about marketing, um, thinking about your channel partners too is, is really really critical when you're thinking about multi-threading. Um, additionally too, multi-thread within your own team, uh, you know I always put in service level agreements with our target accounts and part of those service level agreements actually involves the executive team as well. So having the executive actually be responsible for connecting with the executive at that targeted account and that could be on a monthly basis or what have you. but just keeping that relationship alive. so always think about too how can I multi-thread, other personas, uh, with people that exist in my organization. So I'll always have sales come to me and say, Hey, Karina, do you mind joining this call? They're going to have their marketing team on, and they would love your perspective on not only how do you use, you know, the solution we're trying to sell, but how, like, are you structuring your demand gen and AV programs in general? So I would say those are the two lowest hanging fruit opportunities that any organization could implement probably today is how do you start to be effective with marketing with your channel partners? And how can you be effective with multi-threading with people that already exist in your organization with the organization you're trying to sell into?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, no, that's great. And like some great tactical tips as well. Um, I love talking about the low hanging fruit because like any marketer, we are pressured <laughs> to get ready. So whenever anyone says that, I'm like, yes. Um, so I guess thinking about um, even just going back to like the, the absolute basics, like of thinking about target accounts so for example like i can go onto our Salesforce, and there's many forms of target accounts right so we have like um you know there's four or five different lists for example and it's almost like how do you like the simple question is how do you like get your target account list how big should it or shouldn't it be and then you know how do you kind of get started with it because like sometimes like i go to sales and it's like <laughs> They they hand off like two accounts or like I can speak to somebody else in sales and I've got a list of like five hundred accounts. Like, what is the best way to start that list build?
1: Starting it early, so I will always start planning at least a quarter out before the next fiscal year, and I take it on as my responsibility to start building the list based on a lot of the data points we've talked about. So, what do our best fit look fit? What do our best customers look like, and then finding those lookalike accounts to add to the list, and that can look like all right, what are the, the firmographics that we know are best fit to sell to? What are the technographics? Mm-hmm. What are the channel partner alignments? Um, are there any past uh, you know champions that have now moved on to other accounts that we're not already having space in? And then I will come and I will talk to sales and I will give them my proposal of what I think would be a top target account list. They'll then filter in their own you know input too, because they're gonna have a lot of knowledge as well that I have to extract from them that they already know about the market, maybe they already know that account very well, and then we can filter and sort from there. And that process typically takes about two months to solidify. And what I like about that is that it becomes really centered around the data. So oftentimes too, not every rep will have a target account and we'll explain why. We'll explain that we are we are doing this because We are trying to spend our budget very wisely for an account-based marketing program because in nature, it should be very strategic. It should be very intentional. And so it doesn't mean that you're covering every white space. That's really the job of a demand generation program, right, is to cover Mm -hmm. all that white space. But that's not solely ABM's job. Uh, so I would recommend anybody that is an account-based marketing professional to just simply raise your hand, start getting involved with the data that you know matters most and maybe be most effective, and take the lead here. And what you'll find is this sales team will be incredibly appreciative. They're going to really start to see you as a trusted partner. Um, anytime that I'm talking to any account-based marketer, I say the best way that you can show up is to be a steward of the account data, period. And I think that that starts with uh, building that list and strategically being thoughtful about how you present it.
0: I love that so much. I mean, it's, it's funny because we even now, like, we think about it. I think generally, like, my go-to thought is, right, get, first step one, get account list from sales. Right, <laughs> like, right. I mean, mm-hmm. that's literally, like, just ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. But um, just... on its head and us owning that piece I mean we have started to do that um build those types of lists like cognizant like but I see what you mean about like trusting sales and kind of like showing them that we care about that list as much as they do and yeah no I love that I think that's really um really helpful advice yeah yeah. and it's not that they don't have input right they I want their input it matters
1: right right but I do think that there's a it's it's a bit of a it shows the intentionality behind these programs and the differentiation between what account-based marketing should be and what just building your territory list should be. They're, they're different. Uh, so it, it, mm-hmm. does, it does assist and help both parties. But yeah, I think that marketing has the opportunity to take the lead
0: there. Mm-hmm. And then once you have that list, is that when you can start thinking about the commonalities like between companies and whether we can action like your one to few or one to many, whatever you want to call it, versus like your one to one. Cause I'm quite interested in what that step would be after that um initial like list build, I guess.
1: Right. And there's probably going to be some folks in those lists and or accounts in those lists that are already in cycle that hadn't yet closed sure. in that fiscal year. So to your point, they then start to get embedded into one-to-few programs or one-to-one one programs because they may not have been on that list originally. It really depends on the company sales cycle. So I've typically worked in enterprise organizations where the sales cycle is anywhere from six to twelve months and up. So updating and reviewing that account list and filtering out you know who gets moved on what program next is a lot longer because you don't want to change too much too quickly so i typically like to have at least a quarter or even two quarters to have a formal review of what's working what's not and then we do have the opportunity at that point to then meet again with sales and say all right let's move this this company out entirely let's pull this person back in so within the list i described to you let's say that we had 50 target account lists to start that doesn't mean that we don't have like you know we're, we're we're blind and we don't know who to target next we're just going to go down to the next account we'll go to account 51 that didn't make it on the list and then pull them into the program so it's super mm-hmm. important to have a comprehensive list that you know that you can switch out over time which accounts and then again uh, if you have that historical no- knowledge about or can make some kind of assumption of when is it appropriate when have we found it to be most effective to introduce this channel this tactic then you'll know how to to move those accounts through the funnel
0: okay cool yeah that makes sense and then um thinking on my this has been a topic on my mind recently is intent data so um what are your thoughts on using intent data to like inform ABM campaigns, like, do you layer that in? Have you had success? This is
1: uh, a topic I love talking about because as, you know, through the years of being an ABM practitioner, I've really understood that intent data has become kind of like a dirty word, especially to sales and and often marketers too. And unfortunately, I think that's because oftentimes when you're getting intent data, you're getting it from third-party providers and there's often a black box, right? Like you don't understand what this means, why they're even recommending uh, that once you have this signal, then you should do X, Y, Z. Um, So it's very important at any level organization to understand what signals matter most to your business. And by the way, intent data can be your own first party intent data. So what are accounts doing on my site? Unfortunately, I feel like that gets lost a lot when we're talking about account-based marketing is we forget all those other marketing principles that we know matter that we know can tell us and paint a story. So I think that there is there is a kind of less is more approach here, right? You don't need to have mm-hmm. every single data point imaginable. You need to have the data points that really matter to you most. So there's tons of intent, provide, data, intent data provider out, providers out there. You need to make sure under your due diligence that you know what matters most to your business. And so what I often recommend to marketers is when you're talking to those organizations, Get an NDA in place, but then share with them your target account list and your personas, and then see if they actually have enough data themselves to present back to you Mm -hmm. that they have history of collecting that data. Then make sure you thoroughly understand what it means and how it's being presented in the tool or within your organization itself, because it it needs to matter to every person on the go-to-market team, and they need to understand it. So let's just say, for example, that I know that somebody moving... A past like raving fan of ours is moving to a new job. That's a really big, intense signal for me and my team because we know that if we have a champion and a deal, they're 80% more likely to uh, to win the deal. So that's a very high-intense signal, and I'm going to make sure that my team knows about that. Not by telling them to go to Salesforce and look for it, but by pushing it to them where they work most. And in most organizations, or most organizations I've worked at, it's either Microsoft Teams or Slack. So I will then push yep. that signal to them with the caveat of I'm telling them what I would recommend to do next. That's often going to be something that can be like a mass recommendation, but I'm encouraging them to, to dig into the uh, previous account, right? What do we know about how the champion used our tool before? Let's make sure we embed that into our outreach and our messaging. Um, and then really personalizing it and making it about... How can we now engage with this champion at this new account in a way that's personal and meaningful? But my to wrap that all up in a bow, less is more with intent data. Know what mm-hmm. intent data matters to your business that's going to really move the needle from a business objective perspective. Then figure out how to disseminate that internally so that they understand it and know how to act upon it because otherwise it's just intent data for intent data's sake if you don't know how
0: to actually act upon it to make anything meaningful come from it makes total sense um we find that the it's more of like the education of intent data right so it's like like you said what, what are you going to do with it how are you going to action it but really it's like what are you expect what are the expectations um which i think it's really important um just i think generally for an ABA, abm program especially if like you haven't done it before what are you looking to get out of this um because i think a lot of the time it'll be pressure for like from sales from revenue org on new conversations Mm -hmm. like what program well i want to have new conversations with i know and my top five accounts but actually it can be as impactful as helping their deal their you know their february deal close you know a month sooner than it might have done And, and on that though if if we are saying you know We need to agree on like how we're going to measure the impact of ABM. How are we measuring the impact of ABM? So let's take a like pipeline acceleration example. How is it a shared target, like a shared goal? Like how are we aligning everybody to, um, I suppose it comes back to attribution, right? So it's like, how can we show that marketing have influenced it? Great question. And I think that it does
1: have to be one team, one voice, one goal. And obviously, that's going to be tied back to revenue. It has to be tied back to a business objective. Um, those KPIs should be really, really, really clear. And you should be able to, like we said earlier, like there's no such thing as overcommunication. So make it visible for your team how you're measuring and tracking against those goals. Maybe that's a report in your CRM. Maybe it lives somewhere else. But make it visible because it's, it's, it's helpful for everyone when you're showing them what's working, but also you're, it's really helpful when you're showing some, somebody when it's not working. Um, so I've often had to uh, go back to my executive team and say, hey, we created all this custom content, all this custom collateral with the assumption that this industry was gonna be a great target for us, and it turns out it's not, and here's why. So you're still informing them from a data perspective. So, and there's a very tactical way, I think, that you can introduce this. And one thing I found is that um, showing up to like a sales kickoff as, as an ABM marketer, It's really helpful to have a one slide presentation on a closed deal that won in the target account. And what you do is you're showing them a timeline of all the different things that were involved with this account. So sometimes that can be 17,000 different attribution points, right? Of when the account was actually first engaged with your brand. And that might even be like five years prior to the deal closing i found that that's incredibly helpful to paint the picture and tell the story of how ABM in marketing overall is successful. So that I just call it like a, a deal one slide. And so I'll have the logo there, I'll show the timeline and I'll, sh- I'll talk about the different data points. And what I've found is people just come up to me and they'll be like, I had no idea I could leverage marketing in this way. I had no mm-hmm. idea that I could partner with you or understand data about an account this way. and. That is just, again, a tiny tactical way to show value. And that's going to instantly kind of build that camaraderie, that one team, one goal. Um, Another way is to just raise your hand again and make sure you're invited to those pipeline meetings. Make sure there's at least one marketing representative in the the sales call meetings where they review pipeline. It's so helpful to be able to just raise your hand and say, hey, actually, I have something new that I can share with you. I see that that we've actually had a Key decision maker um, look at uh, another competitive solution or spend this time. You know, this they they were spending this time on this area of our site. Keep showing up where they're already doing work and where they're already having those conversations, and and do so much show and tell about how you can add value.
0: It's great advice. I like it. It's like the data driven approach and being super visible. Um, yes. So I'm going to ask you a question, which has also been on my mind, is ABM. Well, is on ABM tools. So I have thoughts <laughs> on ABM tools, and I wanted to get yours. So my experience has been that they claim to do a lot of things. They're very hard to use, um, and you kind of have to integrate absolutely every single thing that you're doing into that pla- into their platforms because these obviously make sense because they want to make it hard for you to churn but i haven't had the best experience well i'm having some better conversations of late but like historically i haven't had the best conversations around the tools themselves what do you think first off we should always chat offline
1: (laughs) i have had so much experience here with negotiating with reconfiguring the tool itself, being on their advisory boards. I have a lot of opinions, but what I'll I'll definitely say is that it's so important to understand the foundation of why the tool was built. And Mm -hmm. most ABM tools on the market today are designed to push ads, specifically display advertising or social media ads. That is something that you need to be mindful of, because if you're going to implement an ABM technology vendor, You have to go into this with already having a strategy in place, already knowing who your ICP is, already having at least some campaigns deployed where you have a benchmark to to go up against. Because these tools and providers, that is not the end game for them, right? The end game for them is that you already have this knowledge and now you're here to push that message, right? Via display advertising, social media advertising out through their tool. To get it into a place where it really works for your business takes a lot of configuration and a lot of time. But feel encouraged yeah. to feel encouraged to have those conversations with your CSM. Feel encouraged to start that earlier when you're in the buying process. They should be willing to work with you because they should understand that there's no one size fits all when it comes to how are you measuring the success of your ABM program. And it's behoo of them to work with you, to configure things, to make sure that it's working in a way that best serves your business because that's going to be ROI you know, for them to prove to you later on. So always recommend to, to do quarterly reviews and you should have clear objectives in place that you're expecting them to bring back to you because you want to make sure and validate that what they're telling you is what you're also seeing you know, in the market and your fruits and in the labors of your efforts. So mm-hmm. I guess a long winded way of saying uh, I think there's going to be a big shift. I've seen overall just with the different companies I'm advising with that ABM itself is it's still it's still a hot topic, but I think the way we're talking about it and the way that these tools are now showing up is going to be very different than what we've been than what we've been accustomed to. Mm
0: -hmm. Definitely. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, because I think I think in the past, I've definitely been put off by the setup. You know, like you sort of you go on a demo and you're like, gosh, this is going to take me (laughs) 20 to implement you just kind of get put off straight away I do on that topic of like ABM like the landscape changing like how do you think um, it will change I guess maybe over the next few years like do you think it will be more akin to that go-to-market motion versus just like your traditional
1: ABM funnel definitely I think that we are overall as a market getting away from segmenting marketing and sales as much as we have been I mean the fact that why are marketing and sales teams so siloed? Like that's been a a keynote topic for decades, plural. (laughs) The fact that that has remained a topic is insane to me. And so we've repackaged it and and how these tools are gonna solve it in so many different ways. But I think with the advancement of the way these tools can process information with AI, that's where I think Mm -hmm. is really gonna be helping us to to accelerate and scale, which is really the ultimate goal that has always been for these programs. So I do think that that's going to be the evolution change. And I think then what's gonna be very beneficial for both marketers and sellers is that's where our creativity then really begins to shine. And I think that that's why marketers today should use these tools for processes and to help you scale, but hone in on your craft, hone in on how to communicate, how to effectively do persuasive storytelling, marketers and sellers. Uh, so I think that the tools are catching up and now I think that you know we as professionals have the opportunity to really shine now and show our expertise and why we why why we're so suited to be in these roles in the first place.
0: Yeah I get that it makes a lot of sense and it's amazing really isn't it like the whole um, like all bound conversation and sales and marketing like alignment it's so interesting like I've been at many, many organisations over the years where we've gone to launch a programme and then gone, oh, but we don't know how to attribute it. So then we just don't do those actions, which is, seems crazy, like, looking back, because it's, as you said, it's, like, valuable storytelling. But just because, where, just because we don't know, like, where the final attribution piece will end up, it's kind of almost canned, because I think a lot of teams have, even me as well in my, like, tradition, like, when I first started out in marketing, like, we've kind of been, like, Trained to feel most safe when we just have our own number that we can easily feed into and um, watch go up or go down. But we can we know that there's like very simple levers to pull. But I think the reality is it's like with this dark marketing, like dark social, like you can't track everything, and that's usually the most valuable piece, or so that's where people are getting the most value. You just don't know it.
1: Totally, and I mean to your point. I think that when marketing automation platforms, you know, came up a couple, you know, a decade ago it became marketing's like almost saving grace to prove and have a seat at the table table. And I think we've really over-indexed on attribution, for attribution's sake and marketing itself, yep. I think has been so removed from conversations with the customer and being close to the customer. And I think that these tools now realize that, you know, the whole go-to-market team isn't bought into a lot of the attribution points that they were, you know, selling on to your point, word of mouth, dark, social, um, people, right? Like it's the people that are driving it. So attribution is helpful and it's a guiding index and it should be, you know, uh, a guiding point for people to to refer back to. But at the end of the day, these tools and these organizations are realizing that there is so much more than just attribution here at Play. And I'm really excited to see how people are leaning into, uh, you know, more of a educational, fun entertainment, connecting people with other people. I mean, cognizant, cognizant is one of those that I really look up to. You guys were one of the first risks I saw to do the LinkedIn thought leadership ads, where you actually mm-hmm. pushed out the, per, the person that was, um, you know, that had wrote something on LinkedIn. And it was, it was hard to disseminate it originally, like, whoa, wait, is this an ad? Or is this actually, am I just getting promoted, mm-hmm. like some really great content? Um, but it shows that you guys understand that it's, people that you know people buy from they trust people so you guys are you know ahead of the curve in a lot of ways and how to be thinking about how to launch different programs and how to view attribution as a whole
0: Mm -hmm. amazing well thank you for that that's a that's a nice compliment um always nice to get a compliment thank you very much um so um just to wrap up i mean firstly like thank you so much like i feel like i've very much pushed my own agenda here because I've learned so much
1: (laughs) much thank you. you
0: Um, It's been great. But um, I guess just a final, final question that I was interested to finish on. um, If you did um, have to pick your ABM tech stack, maybe it's like three core tools that are a must or like three to five, like what would they be? And I don't mean it doesn't have to be an ABM platform specifically, but just to help you do ABM better, like what do you rely on the most? Sure. So I'll refer back to
1: the last, um, you know, uh, when I headed up AVM enterprise for Gog, I would, yeah. you know, I would say user gems. So that was the intense data signal provider that was like the winning one for sales. I won them over. And then we got a great program to go off of that. And it became nice. the leading outbound uh, motion to uh, create m- meetings and also uh, net new opportunities. So that's one. The second, I think would be LinkedIn. Um, this is just becoming the social platform where Uh, paid or organic is becoming a big, big driver. A little tip there, those LinkedIn, um, you can even Google this, LinkedIn um, contribution articles, that is becoming the number one organic traffic driver for LinkedIn. So engage there, that's going to help your brand, especially if you have individuals that you're evangelizing to talk about um, your use case, engage there, that's gonna become a huge, huge driver uh, for organic traffic, I think for all. Um, so LinkedIn and then, um, uh, you know, third, I think I would say a gifting platform, um, anything that you can do to, to, to personalize and create moments of human connection, surprise and delight. Those would probably be the three things. And there's, there's so many different platforms. Zest is the new one that's on the market. I have an affinity for Postal because of their ease of use. Um, but there's so many different ways you can think about deploying that. And I would say that it doesn't have to be tech always you can be pretty nimble to get started but those would be kind of the three i would say
0: cool amazing thank you yeah thank you so much um well thanks for joining me again like this has been super valuable um so yeah i'm sure um our listeners will very much enjoy it as much as i have so thank you for joining us thank you fran love the show love
1: everything you guys do thank you so much for having me be on here thank you have a great day